The scripture text for Dr. Hunter's sermon is the 16th verse of Matthew, chapter 5. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And now, let's join Dr. Hunter for his message entitled, Labor, It Works for God, Rather Than It Works for Me. At Northland Community Church, taking time out from their seminar in town this week, a couple representing the Weisenheimer Bible Institute, here to tell us their view of our worth in God. Please give a warm Northland welcome to Herman and Elma Uten-Glotten-Motten-Motten. Over here, Alma. Thank you very much, and um, thank you for taking some time out of your service to listen to us babble. Babylon, Herman. Okay. <laughs> Before we begin, we'd like to digress for a moment. Um, please, everyone, stand. Please, everyone, stand. Who has taken our seminar? No, not a lot. There's a couple of ushers standing in the back there, but that's about it. Well, you're in luck. Uh, my name is Herman and Elma Utglot, and this is Elma Utglot, my wife. And uh, I'm French. Yeah. And we're here today to talk to you just a little bit about Amway. No, no. No, we're just pushing your leg. Yeah. No. We are here to talk a little bit about ourselves and our seminar. But first, me. <clears throat> I'm French. <laughs> and I believe that that's what really makes me a good witness for the Lord. I am just a cut above. <laughs> She's a French cut. <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, that is what Herman saw in me when we first met. Right, Herm? Yeah. Well, just look at her. When we first met, I, and I knew that we were going to get married, I was afraid she was going to dissuade me from my, my ministry. Because, you see, at a very young age, uh, I got a call on my answering machine um, that I was to save and bring 247 people to the Lord. And I was afraid that Alma's beauty and feminine ways would, would get into the way of that ministry, my plan for God's work. Um, and uh, But I decided, because of her royalty and lineage, that we could work it into the ministry. So together we started my new ministry, 10 Days to Spiritual Maturity or Your Money Back. <laughs> available on video cassette. Yeah, that's right. And if you sign up right now, you can get my latest book, Dress for Excess. Uh-huh. You know, if you can't be good, you can look good. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a little bit about the seminar. Um, it, it, basically, in the seminar, we, we cover four major points. We call it the triangle of success. Within those four points, we cover ten key issues, and within those ten key issues, there's over 50 major elements. And basically, all that garbage is, we will tell you what your worth is in, is in God. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely right. Yeah. We realize that not everyone can be French, (laughs) but we usually find something worthwhile in a good number of people we meet. 
many people come up to me and they, they say, uh, you know, Herman, how do you how do you assess your 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 you know, your personal worth? Well, I say it's easy. You know, you you look at what you got, you look at what you've done, you look at your children, how good they are, you look at how good you work, you look at how good your people are, you look at how good your parents are, and your children, and your place in you know your job, and your place in the church. All all these things are milestones in assessing your personal worth. Exactly. We want you to come out of our seminar knowing how you can become worthwhile to the Lord. Of course, this means memorizing key scriptures in case the Lord or your pastor takes it into his head to quiz you someday. <laughs> it means, of course, um, you know, things like starting your own business or, or becoming the boss of the business that you work in now. Or if you can't do that, just act like the boss. <laughs> <laughs> it's things like, what do you weigh? What books have you read? What's your favorite color? No, no, Herman, that's our other seminar. Oh, we've got a little colorizing yeah. seminar here. Yeah. Ten days to perfect colorizing or your money back. <laughs> it's available on video cassette. 1995. <laughs> One of the things I do want to say that in our summer, you'll see for me that it's all or nothing. If your works don't produce fruit immediately, you're wasting your time in God's. Exactly. There are five things worth accomplishing in this life, and you better get them done before you die. <laughs> Of course, we will reveal what those five things are at our seminar. <laughs> now, what, what, what is the... <laughs> Thank you. It's humid in here, isn't it? My hair. Now, one of the things, the fruits of your labor of taking our seminar will be of not having to ever labor again. Because you can ask Elma. Since I started this seminar, I haven't hit a lick of a snake. <laughs> no, really. Well, I guess that's about all the time. We're speaking at 15 more churches this morning alone. And so we've got to take off. One of the things we're doing is we're judging at some sort of contest at another church. Yeah, we're not sure what the contest is, but we're sure that we're qualified to judge it. Yeah, that's right. If there's one thing that Elma and I know how to do is judge other people. Well, God bless y'all. We enjoyed having you. I hope you enjoyed being had. Well, we're going to the, from the ridiculous to the sublime, and I'm the middle step. If you'll turn in your scriptures to Matthew chapter 5, let's talk about purpose and worth and where it comes from. We wanted to give you a parody on how the world scrambles uh, for a sense of personal worth and a sense of personal purpose and how they try to act out by artificial processes uh, their road to what they would like to feel worth and how that can either come from a sense of one's ancestry or a sense of what one does or whatever, but it, it, we try to get it from everywhere but God. Let us take you back to the road that we're on, that, the 10-year <laughs> spiritual road to maturity or to approximating maturity. We're in the second year and we're talking about purpose in life. And let me just give you the context here. Remember that in the Garden of Eden, God gave five arenas of human experience into which he would give purpose. 
Those arenas were life itself, being. They were labor. They were limits. They were love. And they were learning. All of the arenas of human experience can be summed up in those five general areas of God giving to us a sense of His presence and a sense of our destiny. Now you remember that in we're going to talk about labor today, and in the garden we worked for God. You know, in Genesis 2:15 it said that He put Adam into the garden to till it and to keep it, so that there was work for God. And and every uh, day Adam was able to go and and get into conversation with God after he had done his work. Then. As we were exiled from the Garden of Eden through our own sin, through our ancestry, we got the idea that we weren't working for God, we were working for the earning of God's regard. That if we did a certain number of things, that God owed us His regard. That was the attitude of Cain, remember? He gave an offering and felt like God owed him and was angry when he didn't get what he thought he ought to have. That's the mark of sin, trying to earn things we can't earn. Well, in Jesus Christ, we were reestablished in the purpose of labor, even better than Eden. Because remember, Eden was working for God. And in the New Testament, in in 2 Corinthians 3, it says, we are are co-laborers with God. So as we stand in Jesus Christ, and as Jesus Christ lives in us, It is us and God working together through Jesus Christ. Now, let's go into the third series now when we talk about not for, certainly not to earn, certainly not just with, but we work, listen to this, unto God. Unto God. Because we can work with God all of our lives still trying to accumulate for ourselves a pile of good works, can't we? Remember what I said to you last week. I said nearness to God is not a matter of your location. It's a matter of your orientation. Where are you facing? Where are you looking? Now, I want to take one verse out of the New Testament and break it down for you. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, if you have your scriptures with you. And I'm just going to read that short little verse 16. Most of you have this memorized, but let me read it to you. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I know uh, of very few verses that have been misinterpreted more than this one. It's a real stumbling block, especially when you look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, because Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 seems to be its contradiction. It seems to be just the opposite. Listen to this. 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 says, Beware of practicing righteousness or good works before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Now, doesn't that seem like a contradiction to you? Let me tell you why. Because in the... The human experience, it's our temptation to separate our good works from who we are. And to say, you know, there is a category over here of stuff that I just do for God. And and, and if I do it long enough, maybe I'll become a better person. 
But it's basically for him. And all of this normal, natural life over here, this is what I really live. But if I get time, I do good stuff for God. Let me tell you how very different the message of the New Testament is from that. First of all, let me explain to you the concept of light. Let your light... What does that mean? Remember when you were a little kid, when you sang that song, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it... When we sing it, when when a gorilla band does this, it's a rock thing. We dance it. But what is your light? How do you let it shine? I believe that Scripture has a word for an... Now, don't, don't get into the New Age thing off this, please. Has a word for the sense of who we are as we begin to look at God. I believe that we are transformed into a glorious person as we are oriented and look toward God. Now, there's lots of words in the Bible for this. One of the words is countenance. One of the words is glory. One of the words is shining. Look, I'll give, you a, I'll give you a paradigm for it. Turn to chapter 9 of Luke. And let me show you what happened to Jesus as he was paying attention to the Father. Chapter 9, verse 29. While he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. His clothes became white and gleaming. You say, well, that was Jesus. I mean, Jesus can do that. We can't do that. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. The same dynamic happens in our life as we pay attention to God, as we continually look at God. Look at this. But we all, with unveiled face, listen to this, beholding as in a mirror His glory, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, from one degree of glory to another. Do you understand how we become light? That we have a certain countenance as we pay attention to God. What was the first thing that God said to Cain when Cain was angry because he could not earn God's regard? He said, Cain... Why has your countenance fallen? In other words, where'd your light go, boy? There's a change in your attitude. You're not looking at me anymore. You're looking at yourself. You're looking at your sacrifice. You're looking at your work. You're not looking at me. Most of you are familiar with the Aaronic blessing, the blessing of Aaron. Let me read it to you, though. It's in Numbers chapter 6, and it begins with verse 24. And it says this, most of you have heard this all your life if you've grown up in the church. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And then in Hebrew parallelism, he says the same thing over again. The Lord lift His countenance on you and give you peace. What's he saying? That as we look to God, it's not the compartments of our lives that count It's the change in us. We become literally different people. We can go out into a restaurant, and Becky can, if you have a gift of discernment, this really helps. Becky can look around the room. She does this with great regularity, and she'll say, Hunter, I bet you that person over there is a Christian. And I'll look at the person and say, how can you tell? I don't know, just how they act. 
And it's not a giddy, it's not a sober, you know, Christians, they're either, you know, some people are either real high mood or real sober mood, whatever, you know, there's just, just, just something about that person. And every time we've had the opportunity to check it out, she's been exactly right. There's something about the sense of a person who is growing deeper and deeper in God that people notice. And it's ineffable. You can't speak it. You can't describe it. It's just there. You can't reason with it. You can't appropriate it yourself. It's just there. That's your light. Now, what does it mean when it says, let your light so shine that man may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven? There's a double meaning to this that seem to be opposites. The only time that they go together is when you, listen to this, are living life normally. You are doing the everyday things in such a different way that they tend not to notice you, but the manner in which you're doing them. When you have so released your life to God that you have started to dispossess your own investment in the good work that you're doing. Now, this sounds strange. But when you start chalking your resources up to God, your methods up to God, and the results up to God, and you're just in there having fun, there is a light that comes out of your life, and people don't notice you anymore. You know why? Because you're not noticing yourself. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. Let me show you something. It's the parable of the talents. Basically, it's how to have fun with goods. And I know fun is a real shallow term, and we're not in this for fun, but it sure is enjoyable when you get the right perspective. Matthew chapter 6 says, look, you've got two choices. You can either be a slave of God or you can be a slave of mammon. And mammon uh, is, is not just money. That's a, that's a mistranslation. It means all of the goods in your life, all of the material goods and all of the actions and all of the good works. You can either pay attention to them or you can pay attention to God. Those are the two choices you have. Now watch this. In Matthew chapter 25, in the parable, Jesus says this. Verse 14, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on in his journey. Now he evidently gave them the order that said, See what you can do with this. One of the servants misunderstood the character of God. He thought he heard God saying, I gave you this, take good care of it, don't mess it up. Most Christians I know operate out of that worldview. I gave you this life, don't mess it up. They operate totally defensively, totally fearfully. And so they have the habit of, because they don't want to fail, not doing anything. Not to mention that's a good excuse for not doing anything. This servant thought that God was going to come back. Now look at the... I'll, I'll show you the verses. Verse 24. The one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid. There's the, ver there's the verse. 
and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But the master answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy slave. He knew that he was doing it just because he didn't, have, just so he wouldn't have to do anything. So he wouldn't have to try. So he wouldn't have to risk. None of us like to risk. You knew, read it like this. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I sowed no, scattered no seed. In other words, was that your opinion? I'm not confirming your opinion. But if that's your opinion, then, verse 27, then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and upon my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Look, why do you think God gave you the resources you have coupled with the ability He has hardwired into your life? All of us have an infrastructure in here, a wiring that is our ability. Why do you think He gave you both? He gave you both in order to see what you could do with them and to enjoy the process. There's no way you can fail. Because you know what? They're not your goods to start out with. And the results aren't yours to end up. The, the profit or the loss is not yours. I remember when I was little. I've always been told since I was little, don't borrow anything. Because... You're, if you break it, it's horrible, it's terrible. And so I've always been terribly nervous about borrowing anything. Except one time I can remember when I was a little kid. And I, I had an old, raunchy old uh, fishing pole. It wasn't very good, didn't work very good. And I had one hook. That's all I could afford. I couldn't afford any tackle. And my grandfather, Pop, used to say to me, Joey, I want you to go fishing for me. Now here's my pole and here's my tackle box. He had the most glorious fishing pole and the most glorious tackle box. And he'd say, now, Joey, if you catch anything, you realize it's mine, don't you? Because it's my, my equipment here. Oh, yeah, I realize that. I'd be glad to give you anything. Okay, well, just go see how many fish you can catch with this. Man, it was the most glorious thing. I'd take that tackle box and open that thing on the end of the dock, and it gleamed, it veritably gleamed at me. And I'd fish all day long using his stuff, catching the fish, bring them back, and we'd eat them together. He always said, oh, it's the best fish I ever ate. They were his fish. He let me eat a little bit of it. But I can remember the joy, and I can remember the release when Pop said, see what you can do with this. My stuff, don't worry about anything except what you can do with it. Tremendous release. And I can also remember the days I didn't catch anything. And that was okay with Pop. He just wanted, to see, wanted me to see what I could do. If... If you have a sense of living your life, of anticipated failure in your life, and think that really matters, you've got God all wrong. What really matters is that you're using what He gave you. And you are grateful to be using it. You are enjoying what He gave you. And if somebody tries to take it away, or it starts going away, it wasn't yours to begin with. And the person that they're messing with is not you. It's God's. That's God's stuff. I can remember a story. This is somebody, the guy that told me this story is a true story. He had a little, there's a little kid in his room that was a little, kind of a skinny kid that bullies love to pick on. Now, if you're a boy, you've got to worry about bullies from about grade school through about high school. And that's, that's a lot of your life, just worrying about who's going to pick on you. And so this, this one bully was just had zeroed in on this one kid trying to prove his manhood off this kid and, and one day the bully 
asked to go to the restroom, and he was out of the room, and this one little kid was working on a, trying to draw a bird. The teacher told him to draw birds, and he couldn't draw a bird, and he raised his hand and said, I can't draw a bird. I don't know how. So the teacher brought her bird back. And he said, she said, here's a bird I drew on a sheet of paper, and said, just copy that and see if, see if that doesn't uh, come out all right for you. So, so she walked back up to the room, and she started doing something else, and this bully comes back in the room, and he sees his teacher's busy, and he goes back to this little kid. He says, watch this, punk. Picks up the bird off, off that desk, rips it up. He says, how do you like that? Little kid sitting there says, I like that just fine. <laughs> the guy was in deep weed, see? Thought he was messing, was messing with the teacher. He was in deep weeds. Listen, if you're losing, it's not your stuff you're losing. In the it's God's stuff. And whoever's coming after you is not coming after you. He's messing with God's stuff. Don't worry about it. Just enjoy looking at God and using what He has given you because that's your orientation. What can you build here for God? And what do you become as you build it? Let me tell you one more story and then I'll quit. Most of you know what an Indian ink portrait is. It's, it's a series of black dots that just takes hours and hours and hours to do. And the closer the dots get together, of course, the darker the picture is and the wider apart they get, the, the lighter the picture. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a portrait of shadows. I have a, a senior in high school who uh, is taking an AP art history course. That was, he wanted to get a college course out of the way and, and uh, art was all that was left. And he goes, oh, art? He loves it. He loves art. He's really gotten into it. And so, so uh, yesterday he spent uh, um, some really neat time at some art galleries around, uh, partly on, on, on assignment and partly just enjoying it. He came back and told me about a portrait that really had struck his fancy. He said, Dad, there was this gorgeous portrait of this woman, beautiful woman, that when you stand across the room is just absolutely striking. The closer you get, the more the texture becomes apparent. And when you get right up close to it, you see that the entire portrait has been made by the artist putting his finger in an ink blot and making that portrait with his fingerprints. So the entire portrait is really made up of the individual identity of the artist. Could I just say to you that's exactly what God's doing for us? He's making a person that just looks like a person to everybody else. But the more you look to God, the more we're made out of His fingerprints, out of His unique identity. And that is what makes the quality of our work His. And the quality of our life is. Pray with me. God, help us to forsake the silliness of trying to be successful and not relating it to you. Help us to forsake the, the idea that we can divide our lives into little compartments and over here we can give you good works and over there we can, we can do what is natural and normal. Help us to know that all of our lives 
or to reveal your identity. And as we look to you, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Not immediately, not in ten days, not immediately with results, but over a period of time, our countenance changes. And when people see us, no matter what we're doing, they will see you. We thank you in advance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.